Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. We are on the very edge of one of the greatest moves of God's spirit that this place has ever experienced. And I felt like God brought me over to the place of, uh, of Luke chapter 5 where Jesus goes and stands in a boat. And when he stood in a boat, he began to minister. And when he was done, he told, he told the owner of the boat to go back out and throw his nets out. That's kind of an honor of what, what they had done. You know that one of these people was Peter, right? And so he, he was Simon at the time before he had been renamed. And so he, he tells Jesus in Luke chapter 5, it's recorded. He said, well, we've, we've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. But because you said so, we'll go back out and we'll do what you said. And he and he threw the net out over on the other side. And then there was such a large catch of fish that they called over their partners. And this right here is what was said. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. All right. So here's, here's what I felt the Lord was saying during worship today is that what God is about to do in this region is a, is a multi-boat endeavor. And, and what's going to happen is that God wants to connect a network of various ministries and churches together because he's going to say, throw the net out again. And there's going to be some people that are actually called to do things they've done before, but this time it'll work. Maybe you, you, you had a vision from the Lord and you did something that he wanted to uh, and, and something that was on your heart sometime back, but it didn't have the fruit that it did. And it kind of like got discouraged from it. But now there's almost like a stirring. Go and do that again. But maybe do it on the other side. Maybe do it over here. It gives uh, the same thing, but a different place or a different, different uh, approach or something of that nature. But I feel like there are some people that have said, I've tried to do things to reach out to the lost. I've tried to do things to stir up a heart for that. I've tried to do things to, to share the love of Jesus. And it didn't produce, we put all this effort into it, put money into it, put all these things into it, and it didn't produce the fruit that we really were hoping to see. And I feel like God is saying, what we're about to see happen is that when I say, go back out, do this again, as he's going to bring together boats together. And then from that place, so much of a harvest is going to come in that one place can't handle it. And so the reason I'm having you stand is I'm wondering if, if this is not your, your home church, but you're, you're a part of, you're representing another church and you came to be a part of this weekend conference. Would you raise your hand? Okay, what I want to do, if this is, leave your hand up, if this is your house, I want to ask you to go to one of those people who are near them and put your hand on them. We want to bless the other ministries that are represented here. Just put your hands on them. All right. Thank you for coming. Father, we thank you for a multi-boat operation. We thank you for the harvest that's coming. We thank you for your heart for the lost. And we bless all of these ministries, all of these churches. We bless what you're doing in them. 
we pray for prosperity over them in Jesus' name, that what those churches and ministry ministries do, what they touch, that it grows, that it does well, that it produces lasting fruit. God, we bless them. We pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in their ministries. We pray that you would bring in many, 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 many souls, God. Thank you for them. Thank you. Thank you. Because you say say it, Jesus, we'll put our nets out again. We will go back out again. And we thank you for the harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming, all those from all the different places. Thank you for coming, those that call this place your home. It's an honor to be here with you and to spend this time together. I have a real stirring and excitement in my heart about this weekend and about what God is going to do. One of my one of my number one passions is to rob hell. The Bible makes it clear that hell was not made for people. And we have the privilege of partnering with the Holy Spirit to connect with people and bring them into the place they were created to be. They were created to be in the family of God. And so as you move into this weekend, you really get to partner with the heart of God to rob hell. And it's such an honor to see that happen and to know what God is going to do over these next few days together. Uh, pastors, I want to thank you for taking a chance. For Thank you. for Seriously, thank you for laying your lives down for the gospel. It's amazing. Got to spend a, a little bit of face time along the way and just getting to, to hear God's heart from you guys and for you guys. And I have more to say, but I won't do it tonight. But I just want to tell you, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you've carried yourself. That's incredible. Would you guys thank God for these people? It's amazing. I believe that it's okay to give honor to people. The truth is, Whatever you honor, you release to happen in your life. Because Jesus is always Lord, but when you honor him as your Lord, then all that he carries as Lord comes into your life. And we honor the gifts on people's lives. It's not about making them feel good about themselves, so that's not a horrible thing. But you're actually honoring the gifts that are on their lives, and when you honor that then what they carry comes rushing into yours. And there's some things that this couple carry that we need in our lives, and we honor the gifts that they are. As we get into this weekend, I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really seeing it as kind of a package deal. We're going to go all the way through into Saturday night, and if you'll go with me, through these next several sessions, it's going to be kind of a a unit together, and we'll go on a journey together. And so we're just going to get started with it tonight, uh, and we'll build on things and refer to things. So I hope that you can come here uh, throughout the rest of this weekend. And uh, if not, I think it's being recorded, so you might uh, be able to pick it up or something like that 
uh, it will be on sale for like, I don't know, $150, something like that. <laughs> uh, Pastor highlighted a, a book that I brought with me, Basics in 21 Days. And uh, I, at one point I was on staff at a church as an outreach and discipleship pastor. And uh, one of my responsibilities was organizing outreach as a church as well as discipleship for the church. And uh, I didn't like the material I came across for new believers, and so I ended up writing my own. And uh, the part of the reason I didn't like it is because a lot of the things I, I came across at that time uh, were it either seemed too complicated for a new believer, it was really thick books, uh, or a lot of them were really watered down, basically said, be a good person, read your Bible, and pay your tithe. And that was kind of what they all said. And so I, one day I asked my wife, I said, why can't we have new believer material that uh, taught someone, as soon as they gave their life to Jesus, how to hear the voice of God? So that we knew the foundation of what this whole thing is about as a relationship. And uh, so day number one on here is hearing the voice of God and introducing two-way journaling in every single lesson throughout the, uh, the, the rest of the book includes hearing the voice of God. So you're learning directly from him, and you're also learning that this is about a relationship from the first day all the way and build that as, as part of the way that, that you approach learning. You learn with the Holy Spirit. He's a pretty good teacher. And if you've never been to a church before, if you know somebody like that, then it has a, an area in the back here. See if I can find it for you. It is a... I try to design this for people who are not familiar with churches. And so here's, here it is. This section is called Christian Lingo. And uh, this is to help somebody survive their first day at church. Because you know we're weird. We have our own little subculture that if you don't know what's going on, many times you don't know what's going on. And uh, so this right here, you can hand somebody, if they're, they're not familiar with Christian terminology, all that kind of stuff, they have a little handbook. They can flip to the back and go, what did they just say? What did that mean? Kind of help them out a little bit. So uh, every single thing in here is built on that and helps to build a good foundation on uh, uh, really knowing God, the kingdom of God, the heart of God for people. And so I, I recommend it. I like it. When I pastored a church, I gave it to people. You know, you never want to eat at a restaurant where the people that work there won't eat. If they won't eat their own food, don't eat there. <laughs> so when I pastor the church, I use the same book, and so I, I believe and I think it's worthwhile. We also have a sign-up sheet if you want to stay connected with our ministry. Uh, our ministry is called Life Ministries International, and our website is releasinglife.org.org. And uh, you guys can connect with us and find out different things we're doing uh, right now, we're preparing for a crusade in a location I can't say in public. I'll be happy to tell you in person, but um, it is potentially going to be a 100,000-member crusade uh, and going after healing signs and wonders, preaching Jesus to people who have never heard it before. And uh, so we're, we're in the process of preparing for that in November is when we could seeing that happen. And so you can find out more stuff about that if you want to along the way. And I'll be more than happy to talk to you guys in person and, and hang out as I can for the next few days uh, and look at some things. So anyway, all that being said, uh, I, it's, it's just a, an honor to be able to spend some time 
with you, and I'm excited about going on this journey for the next few days. If you go in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10, we're going to jump right into this. Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And he called, speaking about Jesus, Jesus called to, to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every sick, every disease and every affliction. Let's skip down to verse number 5. Huh. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim to them as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You've received without pain, give without pay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have freely received we thank you that you do not withhold your only son for us, and not just for us, but for those that are around us. I ask that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I ask you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and I ask you to empower us to partner with you, to love people into the kingdom. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the reason I read that is because over the next next couple of days here, we're going to kind of unpack some things that are about this. And I want to kind of just lay some foundations together tonight and start building on some things so that uh, over the next couple of days, we're going to do kind of some uh, evangelistic 101 level kind of things that are really going to help empower you to, uh, to, to engage the culture around you in very powerful and practical and biblical ways. You have to find out if I'm a heretic by coming and hearing what we're going to be covering. But I think that we need to take a serious look at what we're doing and how we're coming across as Christians and how we engage the culture because uh, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be a, that sounding gong within our own culture. We want to be a people that, that really know how to let the light of Jesus shine in a way that brings the revelation of Jesus in a meaningful way to them. And one of my goals in life is bringing people into an encounter with Jesus before their walls go up. It's kind of like a door-to-door salesman. I don't know if you guys have those out here or not, but, you know, we have people that come to your door, and uh, if you're like me and other people, maybe, you, you, you know, close your blinds, turn off the lights. Hey, everybody, pretend nobody's home. Be quiet. Maybe they'll go away, you know. And maybe that person actually has something that you would really want, but you don't know. And the reason you don't know is because maybe you had a bad encounter with a previous salesman. Somebody had tried to get you to buy something you didn't really want. Uh, or uh, maybe you felt busy and feel like you had the time for it and it didn't seem worth it to you. And I found that many people, when it comes to uh, interacting with Christianity, interacting with Jesus, they're not actually rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting a, an encounter with a Christian that they had. Or they are rejecting with 
the idea of who they think Jesus is. And so that means for us is that we need to bring Jesus in a way they're not expecting. So we can actually introduce him to them before their walls go up. And I'm going to help you do that over this next couple of days. It's going to be really fun. It's a blast to rob hell. I love, there's nothing in the world like leading somebody to Jesus. There's nothing in the world like it. And, uh, you, and if you might say, I don't know if I have that kind of personality. I don't know if I have that kind of gifting. Well, I have really good news for you. We are all empowered to love the person in front of us. We are. No matter what your personality or what your gifting is. Right now, as I was flying over here and all the, the, the different flights I was on to get here, I've got about 99% done with the book. And, uh, and it's still in process, but this book is called Rob Hell. And then the, I have a book lined up to do after that that I'm calling Activating Introverts. One of, one of my favorite things to do. Now, you know, you know you're, you're, you're not an introvert if you see a crowd of people and think Jesus brought them all to you to preach to. Here's a crowd. I'm going to preach. If you feel like you have to say something just because you're awake, you're probably not an introvert. An introvert talks on purpose. Not just because they're awake. And there are some introverts that feel disqualified from evangelism because our examples have been given primarily from extrovert type of personalities. And so they think to do evangelism means I have to become somebody I'm not, and that's actually a lie, and so it's a violation of my conscience. So I'm just saying that's for somebody else and not me. So what I'm telling you is what I'm going to present even over the next couple of days is how you can be you, whatever personality you are, gifting you have, and still rob hell. Your voice matters in bringing people to Christ. And uh, so we're going to look at that together. And we're going to look at that by starting to unpack Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to get into that here tonight. Verse number 1. It says, He called His twelve disciples together, gave them authority and uh, over these unclean spirits, heal diseases, and all kind of fun stuff. All right, so it says He gave them something. Everybody say gave. As we begin to look into this weekend, we've got to start at a, as a, at a foundational level. And that is that the disciples received something from Jesus. Everybody say receive. A, a fundamental element in the Christian life is our ability to receive. Our capacity to be able to give is directly connected with our capacity to be able to receive. If we can't be good receivers, we're not going to be good givers. What Jesus did is he gave them something that was beyond their own ability. Let me, let me say it this way. I'm going to emphasize this importance of receiving, but let me show it to you this way for just a minute. Because, uh, you know, we develop within Christian subculture various ideas that I call the 11th commandment. There are different things that aren't really a part of the Bible, but we, we act like they are. And one of those is what we're called to do. The, one of the ways that we have like this 11th commandment is, how do you know what you're called to do? Well, look at your life and see that whatever bad stuff happened to you, then what you're supposed to do is to comfort others with the comfort that you've received. I even have a Bible verse. And so you look at what you've walked through to know what you're called to do. Now, can God use that? Yes. However, I would suggest to you that I don't want you to limit the voice of God to somebody else's failure. Don't allow someone else's failure to be God's voice for you. Maybe you were just around jerks. 
Maybe you're around people that needed Jesus and they had their own problems and it has nothing to do with what you're called to do. I like to, to think about this guy named Levi. He was a tax collector, so he worked with money a lot. And, and Jesus called him to be a disciple, changed his name to Matthew. And what he did not do at that point is say, Matthew, what you have been doing your whole life is preparing you for this moment. I'm going to put you in charge of my money. He didn't do that. He called him to do something that wasn't related to where he came from. And I want to suggest to you that when you receive something from him, he takes you beyond your ability and brings you into his. And so what you do has to be beyond your ability because you're not doing it alone. It's kind of like if you're playing with a child, that child all of a sudden has the ability to do things that they couldn't do beforehand. I have two daughters and... Seeing them cook in the kitchen with my wife was fun, especially as they're little, uh, because uh, they, they do what they can, but it's also in a place where it's dangerous from the bee. And so mom prepares everything, measures it out, cuts it all up, puts in, and, and their job is to do something like dump it in a bowl, you know, mix it around. Mama takes care of the hot oven, puts all the things together, puts the stuff in the hot oven. I come home and it's well done pulls that bad thing out, and it's so good, pulls that bad boy out of there. And so what happens is that they are able to do things beyond their own abilities because of who they're doing it with. The life of a Christian is supposed to be supernatural because we're doing life with the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to be. Some people are afraid of seeing the supernatural happen in their lives, and they have, have, and I would, part of it is they're afraid of it because they're afraid that people will glorify them, that they'll see them. And I would like to suggest to you that if you want to guarantee that people will just see you, then remove the supernatural because you'll be the only one left. And so the invitation to receive is a starting place to partnering with God. It's not, I'm going to go into evangelism and show God what I can do, or it's just based off of my gift mix, just based off of my own personality. It's just based off of what I can offer. This is supposed to be a partnering with him. We have to be good receivers. The Christian life is about receiving. To those who received him, he gave the power to become children of God. Think about this. All of time was waiting for this moment for the Son of God to rise from the dead. It happened. And instead of capitalizing on the moment, Jesus turns to his, his disciples and says, wait. Think about it. Jesus rose from the dead. Other people rose from the dead. People came out of their graves. Crazy stuff was going on. And instead of saying, guys, we got some momentum going here. You know, those people, they were dead. They're walking around. There's witnesses. All these people, things. You guys go out right now. Instead of capitalizing, moving on that, he said, now, guys, I want you to wait until you receive the promise of the Father. The Bible says he gives seed to the sower. He gives you see, everything that we have comes from him. If we're not good receivers, we won't be good givers. So before Jesus sent them out in his name, he gave them something. I want to I I come back to part of this on Friday evening. Tonight, what I'm going to park on here is what evangelism is really about. 
because we've got to understand the heart of God on this. The Bible tells us that God is love. Everybody say, God is love. God is love. And so really evangelism is introducing people to love himself. Let me, let me clarify something while it's on my mind here. Uh, you're free to disagree with me about things. I think I'm right, but you're free to disagree with me. One of the things that I think I'm right about is that it's not our job to make people get saved. I've gone to a lot of evangelism things. I got a degree in evangelism in Bible college. I worked at Billy Graham Association. I've been around evangelism. I've done all kind of evangelism approaches, all kind of things. I might highlight some of those later on in this. But we've become really good at trying to convince people they deserve to go to hell. I'm going to mess with that tomorrow. My point of bringing it up tonight is I want you to understand that our real job is to love the person in front of us with a supply of heaven. That's why anybody can do it. Some people are afraid of evangelism because they think it's about saying a prayer with someone and I'm going to get in an argument and what if I don't know what to say and what if I'm persecuted and somebody doesn't like me anymore? <laughs> really, your job is to love the person in front of you with a supply of heaven. Now, when we bring that to this moment, to what to right now is about, then we need to recognize that our starting place, since we're introducing people to love himself, then we need to be able to receive love. Some people do evangelism out of obedience, and that's fine, but it's difficult to give the, the best expression of evangelism just from obedience. There are some people that God wants me to. It's a Christian duty. I'm supposed to go out and do this. But how can you represent love when you don't have it? You give a bad foundation for it. So the starting place has to be love. The starting place has to be receiving love so you have something to give away. They had something that they could give away because they had received something. They had been with love himself. And I'll look at more about receiving power and receiving authority from him later. But for tonight, what I want to say is that they walked with love himself. They received something just by being with him. And what I believe God wants to do in us tonight is he wants to love on us to the degree that we're free from ourselves. You see, the truth is Jesus wants to love you to death. He wants to love you so much that you're free of you. Because as soon as you're free from you, then you can actually see somebody else. If we're not free from us, if, we're, if our heart isn't satisfied in him, then when we look at other people, we're more concerned about us than we are about them. Are they going to like me? Are they going to want, are they going to, you know, why does perfect love cast out fear? Because perfect love gives me so filled that I'm not ministering to somebody for my benefit in their life. I'm ministering for their benefit. So if I'm afraid to do evangelism, it might be because I'm in my way. That when I'm looking at them, I just see me. But Jesus doesn't remove us out of the situation by telling us how awful we are. 
Some people think this is the way that God does things, but the truth is the Bible tells us God really wants to exalt you. He, wants, he doesn't want to humble you. He wants you to humble yourself. He's not interested in that. Humble yourself because I really want to exalt you. How, do you, how does he humble us? How, how, does he, how does he give us the ability to walk in humility and for us to humble ourselves? It is because we get so filled with him that we get free from us. That now I can love you for you. I'm not loving you for me because I'm satisfied. When I'm satisfied, I'm free from you. When I don't need you to like me in order for me to like me, then I can actually like you. I'm not getting married so that I can prove that I'm marryable. So I just made up a word. You like that? I'm not a friend with somebody because I want them to be a friend with me. What if I just like them? You see, receiving his love is a starting place of evangelism because we're a witness about his love and not only are we... Not only do they need to hear what we say, they need to catch what we carry. And so we have to be loved so we can see them and so they can not just hear what we're saying about love, but they can catch what we carry. They can experience the one who has loved us. And then you can get to a place when you know you're loved and you know at that point you have good news to share. And what's really great about knowing Christians knowing they have good news Sometimes they let it get to their face. What if the world met happy Christians? That would be crazy. (laughs) So I want to give you three areas about love tonight. Because I believe that God just wants to love on you tonight. From that, evangelism will happen. Babies are born from intimacy. If you want to see evangelism in your area, be intimate with Jesus. So three areas of love. First of all, we need to understand the settled and ultimate demonstration of love. Everything is based off of. There is only one way for us to know that we're loved. You guys okay? There's only one way. The Bible tells us in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? It's, be, it's proof, Romans 5 and verse 8, that God demonstrated his love for us, that he sent Jesus. The proof that we are loved is that Jesus came. How do I know that you're worth dying for? Because someone did. You can know that you're loved because it doesn't go up and down according to the day. It doesn't change according to events. It's not related to gifting, background, calling, or anything in our lives. It's based on him. It's a settled demonstration. Let me, let me illustrate it a little bit here to hammer. I, know, I don't want you to miss the depth of what I, I'm saying by the simplicity of how I'm saying it because we want to make sure we get this. So let me say it this way. When I was born, I had an incurable blood disease, and the, and the doctor said I wouldn't live to be five years old. A, doctor, a, a, a pastor prayed for me uh, from a, a revival 
Brownsville Revival, John Kilpatrick. And uh, I went back in for the next checkup, and there was nothing wrong with me. That's beautiful. It's awesome. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't more cute than you were. But though that's a great thing, it's not proof that God loves me. There's only one way to know that God loves me. That's because Jesus came. When I was five years old, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice and called me to preach the gospel. It's a powerful thing. I didn't deserve it. Even though it's a powerful thing, it's not proof that God loves me. Can I, can I tell you, sometimes we do this. We, we stack up, we measure, we say, oh yeah, God loves, but then we, we see when God heals somebody, God must love them a little more. Or we see the calling and gifting on somebody's life. Well, God must love them a little bit more. You see, there's, there's only one way that we can know that we're loved, and it's because Jesus came. I started preaching when I was 16 years old. And I've seen several thousand people come to Christ. I stopped counting at 3,000 because I felt like I was bragging, so I just stopped. But it's been many more than 3,000. That's phenomenal. I love it. But that's not proof that God loves me. There's only one way for us to know that we're loved. Maybe you guys have heard this before. It's because Jesus came. Maybe you've heard that. A little bit later... All right, this was a fun one. When I was 11 years old, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit for six hours. Powerful experience. Powerful supernatural experience. But guess what? It's not proof that God loves me. Later on in my life, I got to work where I work currently at Global Awakening, which is birth from revival. And it's difficult to exaggerate the influence that that Global Awakening has on the planet. And I get to be there. But it's not proof that God loves me. How do I know God loves me? Because, yes, you guys are starting to get it. Oh, okay, well, maybe, some of you here are thinking, now you're just bragging. You're a jerk. I don't like you. Okay, let me say it this way. When I was born, I had an incurable blood disease. But that's not proof that God doesn't love me. There's only one way for me to know that I'm loved. It's because Jesus came. When I was, before I was a year old, my mom and dad got a divorce. I grew up in what's called a broken home where uh, my mom married five men. My dad married three men. But that's not proof that God doesn't love me. There's only one way for me to know that I'm loved. I grew up in great poverty. People that I, was, I grew up in, they were on drugs. They were uh, kicked out of school or on house arrest or, or quit school. That's the environment I was in. I had counseling, quote unquote, sessions with people that had abortions when they were 13. It's awful. But that's not proof that God doesn't love me. 
My dad died of cancer. My brother got juvenile diabetes, takes insulin every day to this day. But that's not proof that God doesn't love me or them. You see, we've got to get our eyes off of things outside of Jesus to know that we're loved. Because the Bible never says, I will prove my love to you by giving you the best family you could have. He never said that. He never said, I'm going to prove my love for you by calling you in the ministry. I like telling the ministry school students that. God said, he never said, I'll prove my love for you by making you really gifted. He never said, I'll prove my love for you by your bank account. He never said, I'll prove my love to you by everybody liking you, by you being the most gifted person, by you being the one who stands out. He never said all those things that we do. If God really loved me, then this wouldn't have happened. That would have happened, or this would have happened, or that, this would have been said to me. No, there's only one way for us to know that we're loved. There's only one way that God said, I will prove I love you. It's because Jesus came. You see, Jesus levels the playing field for everyone. It doesn't matter what somebody said to you or didn't say to you. It doesn't matter what they did to you or didn't do to you. I'm not trying to belittle someone's experience. What I'm saying is that we can take those experiences and bring them to the cross and let his voice be louder than theirs. Saying they went on their own journey. They had their own stuff. The one who created me knows who I am. And when we let his voice have a greater authority than somebody else's voice, then we're on our way to freedom. Some people are waiting their whole lives for their dad to say, I believe in you. I won't hear that from mine. God never said you needed to wait for that because he is saying it to you. Don't live your life under the shadow of someone else's failure. Step out into the light. Step out into the light of Jesus Christ where he says, I made you. You are are not an accident, you're not a mistake, you are my dream come true. And when you know who you are, you become the enemy's worst nightmare. When you know you're worth dying for because somebody did, it changes everything. When you actively receive who you are in Christ, you receive it in your heart and you go, God's not tolerating me. He made his home in me because he wanted to. It changes everything. The creator of the universe, the most powerful being to ever exist, thought you were a great place to live. You're alive because he wanted you to be alive. He's absolutely crazy in love with you. It takes a crazy person to die for another person. He's crazy in love with you. He could have said, build a building and come and visit me once in your life, but he didn't. He said, you know how far I want to be from you? As close as your next breath. The Bible says he takes his spirit and joins together with our spirit. And he creates in us a whole new being, a new creature, a new creation. 
You see, Jesus is the demonstration, the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. And the Spirit is God's demonstration of how far away he wants to be. Everywhere you go, he's there. And I don't say that as a threat. Everywhere you are, he's there because he wants to be. When you get that, it changes everything. Everywhere I go, God is there. Jesus died for me. He thinks I'm amazing. It's humility to agree with him. It's arrogant to say, God, I wasn't worth the blood of Jesus. Could you really look at God and tell him you didn't know what you were doing? That's arrogant. I'll say, God, you thought I was worth the blood of Jesus Christ. Who am I to disagree? I'm valuable. So let me say it this way. I have really good news for you. God loves you. Now don't miss this. Wait, 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 wait. God loves you, and it's not your fault. It's not your fault you were created with value. You weren't cuter than somebody else. You were just born. You weren't even your own idea. God loves you, and it's not your fault. I'm born into royalty. You see, what I love about the kingdom of God is there are no employees. You have to be born into it. Everyone there is family. You see, when you're born into the kingdom, when you give your life to Jesus, you're part of the family of God. That's his idea. He didn't owe, it, owe us that. He didn't have to make us family, right? He didn't owe that to us. He did it because he wanted to. He chose you. Do you understand you're irresistible? <laughs> you're loved, and it's not your fault. When you know it's not your fault, you know you can't do anything to get rid of it. And you know that when you live in his love, it's actually an expression of worship. When I receive my value that he says about me, then that's an expression of worship to him. And so I release worship to him by receiving his love for me. You know every good parent when their kid lets them give them a big hug. It's not just about the kid. The parent also feels loved in it too. It's such a beautiful, I think worship, this is a side thing, but I'm just going to mess with you for a second. You guys okay? We're just getting started. Sometimes we think worship is our highest calling. It's the best thing that we can offer God. I would suggest to you that our highest invitation is to be family. And that worship matters because it matters to him. Let me say it, let me say it this way. If our worship didn't mean anything to God, he would still be worth it. But what makes worship so special is that God humbles himself to the place that our worship touches his heart. Our worship, in other words, no one can replace your voice. No one can worship for you. 
Your worship matters to God because he created you with value. That's why worship is beautiful because you mean something to him. So when you worship him, you know, I'm not filling space. I'm touching the heart of my father. He's absolutely crazy about you. That's settled. It is the ultimate expression of love. Then there are, then there's the, the active expression of love. I got married 15 years ago. It's an amazing wife. I love her. When I married her, I was saying yes to her and no to everyone else, right? I was making a covenant with her, even to people that I hadn't met yet. When we have the ultimate demonstration of God's love, that's like that covenant where he's saying yes to us and we're saying yes to him. I'm saying yes to him even though I haven't met all the other possible religions out there. I'm saying yes to him. Okay. But if I was married and I lived in a way where I didn't show active demonstrations of of love, there would be issues. If I just said, honey, I said I loved you when we got married. How would that go over? Not very well, right, ladies? Yeah. So God doesn't live that way either. Even though there, there is a settled, ultimate demonstration of God's love, and our love, our, our value is set by the cross, he also gives active demonstrations of love. And because of that, because we know that we're loved and it's settled, we can expect active demonstrations of love. And so what that means is that we can live life as a loved person expecting loving things to happen. Instead of going into life trying to get God to prove to us that he loves us by us getting a promotion, by things going our way, by everybody liking us, whatever the case may be. Instead of, God, where are you? Don't you see me? We take God's love off trial. It's already settled and done. He loves us. Now we can live from his love and now we can receive demonstrations of love without his love on trial. Does that make sense? It changes everything. The Lord began to deal with me on this in, in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said to one of the churches, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who opens the door, I'll come in. And the King James Version says, I'll sup with him. Everybody say sup. I just like that word, sup. <laughs> sup, Jesus. What's up? And the Lord took that word sup one day and he said, this is what active love looks like. It looks like that you're seen. When you love someone, you see them. You're not just passing by, you see that person. And second is a made up word and it's unabandoned. I made up two words tonight, it's awesome. Unabandoned. When you love someone, you're with them. And then P and sup is that you're privileged. You're in a royal family, and it's not your fault. You just said yes. You were just born into it, right? And so tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to minister from that place to you tonight because God wants, I parked on that ultimate demonstration of love because we have to have that settled. We live from that, not to it. If we're living to proof that God loves us, then we keep God's love on trial all the time. And we need, to, we need to recognize that his love is already settled so that anything that's going on 
that God, it's not a place of trying to get God to prove that he loves us. We're living from love and we know it's going to work out for his glory and it's going to work out for our good because he loves us. How can it not? Okay? So he wants to sup with you. He wants you to know that you're seen. So many people, this is so important. They feel like just a face in the crowd. God, where did you go? Do you see me? And he wants you to, I'm going to be really weird about it tonight, just to warn you. He wants you to know that he sees you. So I'm going to come back to that as we close out tonight. He wants you to know that he will never leave you. Not because he has sticky notes around heaven telling him not to. Not because someone's tied his arms around his back and said, this is what it means to be God. He won't leave you because he doesn't want to. Why would he want to leave you? He's crazy about you. And he wants you to know that you're privileged. If you don't know you're privileged, you won't enjoy what's in the kingdom. Don't live like a slave when you're a child. You have the story of the younger son, the older brother. We call it the prodigal son. And Jesus said about the, the older son, the older brother, that the father told him, everything I have is yours. And we learn something about God right there. You have not because you ask not. The older brother could have asked for something. He, he had more at his disposal than he accessed just because he didn't know to ask. He didn't know he had a good father that would say, sure, that sounds great. How many things are we not enjoying just because we haven't asked for it? Just a thought. The last thing I want to emphasize here in the area of evangelism regarding love is there's an ultimate demonstration of God's love, and it's Jesus. But there is also an immediate demonstration of God's love, and it's you. Jesus said when he is in the world, he is the light of the world. But then he said, now I'm leaving, and you are the light of the world. In other words, God loved this region so much, he sent you. You are the connecting point between where somebody is at and the ultimate demonstration of love for them. Where you're at, the reason that you're in the place that you are, maybe it's the work that you're in or the neighborhood that you're in or something, God is, God is entrusting people to you. You see, when God gives us gifts, the gifts of the Spirit are not to be consumed. The gifts of the Spirit are to be given. Everything except speaking in tongues is an outward gift. It moves out from us. God sends, he gives you gifts, not to you, but through you. In this area, God loves this place so much, he sent you. He really likes this place a lot. Because he sent some of his best to this region. He really did. So I want you to see yourself as a gift from heaven. You're a gift to this region. And you have really good news. It's not your news. I'm just a mailman. 
but I get to live a perpetual life of giving back tax returns. I come with good news of great joy. And it's from him. So you are a gift. Tonight, I'm going to close out with coming back to this idea of God's active demonstration of love. And I'm going to do it in a weird way. Bless your hearts. Thanks for coming. You made it this far. A few people ran out already, but that's okay. They left before the weirdness started. No, this is, it's just really, really simple. What God's going to have me do in just a moment is I'm going to look at every single person in your eyes and as a representative of Jesus Christ in his name, he wants you to know this, I see you. And so I'm going to tell you that from him, every person here. And I want to encourage you to receive God's love for you. God is not tolerating you. He didn't want to live without you, so he didn't. He thought what it would take for you to be with him was worth it. He's absolutely crazy about you. He can't help it. He can't help himself. He just is crazy about you. And it's not your fault. He just is. But if you don't receive it, it doesn't do, do you very much good. You can be loved from here to the moon and back, but if you don't receive it, it won't help your life. We need to be able to receive love. If we're going to represent love, if we're going to bring people into encounters with love, then we need to be loved and carry it with us. Otherwise, we'll turn into employees and we're introducing people to our boss. Jesus has no desire to be someone's boss. God wants to be their father. It's so much better. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet as we enter into our awkwardness together. We're not going to have any music playing. We're not going to have any other activities going on. It's just going to be me being awkward. I want you to be able to see Jesus and other people. Be able to look in their eyes and see him there. Because when we love somebody, he takes it really personal. He said, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So every time we take a moment to love the person in front of us, that's actually worship. Evangelism is worship. When we love the person in front of us, he takes that personal. It's kind of like if, I, if, I, if one of you were really kind to me, and you were a jerk to my kids, then your kindness to me would be meaningless. 
because I take how you treat my kids very personal. In the same way, we can come to services and raise our hands and know the song lyrics, but if we're a jerk to people around us, don't take time for them and we're selfish, we don't love people around us. Then we come to service and raise our hands and God says, you know, I love you, but this other thing is worship too. Didn't he say in the Old Testament, he said, this is the fast I want. To set people free, to do things for them. He takes it very personal. And so I have the privilege of worshiping Jesus while I minister to you tonight. <laughs> and what I want to encourage you with today is as we, as we get into this weekend, all you're doing is learning another way to worship him. To love the person in front of you. Say, Jesus, I know you take that personally. <laughs> I'm going to love on you right now. So the way I'm going to do tonight, in the stillness of the night, without any elevator music on, I'm going to scan my eyes across the room, and I'm going to look at every single person. And I know there's a lot of you here, so be patient, please. And when I look at you, I want you to look at me in my eyeballs. Because he wants to speak to you tonight. And there are some people that have had things weighing them down for many years. Waiting for somebody to give them permission to live. Waiting for that true message from God for you. And tonight you're going to get it. You're going to have things fall off of your life and have a freedom come in. That this world needs. The world needs to meet loved Christians. Jesus isn't coming back for a bride who's beat up and barely making it across the finish line. Ephesians says he's coming back for a glorious bride. Holy Spirit, I welcome you here in Jesus' name. And I ask that you would shed abroad in our hearts the love of God that we would be able to represent love from a place of being loved. We are not performers, we're lovers. And so tonight, we just worship you by taking a moment to receive your love. We receive your love in honor of you. Thank you for loving us. You don't owe us that, but you do. And you are so good. So I ask you to meet people where they're at tonight. In Jesus' name. All right, open your eyes and look this way. As a representative of Jesus Christ, I come and I speak to you in him. Son, I see you.